Welcome to Chicago West Sunday Sermons, where we encourage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, equip within Christ-centered community, and engage with good works. This week, we will hear a sermon from Pastor John Kelly. Uh, you can meet me in the book of Mark, chapter 8. We're going through the gospel of Mark, and just as a refresher um, to explain this series, we're going through the book of Mark. Mark is the oldest or the first gospel account ever written. Um, Mark is known in the Bible as John Mark. Um, we read about him in, um, in Acts, and it is known that Mark was discipled by uh, Peter. If you remember in the book of Acts, when Peter was in prison and God uh, freed him, the, the church was, would meet in Mark's mother's home. And so his mom was a godly woman who would invite the church into her house, and Peter was the one who discipled Mark. Um, it's speculated and probably true that Mark really is written by Peter. Mark's just writing, but for Peter. And it's shorter than any other gospel account because it's written to um, Christians who are being persecuted, and they don't really have time to write a three-series book. <laughs> but um, the goal of the book, along with the other gospels, is this, that the Messiah has come. The Son of God has come, and that anyone who repents and believes by faith can receive eternal life and forgiveness of sins. But what the scripture also teaches and what I want to present to you is that faith isn't just what gets you into the door and gets your sins forgiven, but it's also something that you need moment by moment, second by second. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, the goal of this kind of series is that you are a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ and that you would recognize that, um, as you learn, that it's not just I need to believe Jesus by faith and get saved, but that walking the Christian faith and the Christian life is moment by moment yielding to the Spirit and walking by faith. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, I've been walking with the Lord for 20 plus years, and I would say 60% of that in full transparency, maybe even like 70% of that, I had what I would call circumstantial faith. Because I just thought that, like, faith is just something you whip out the cabinet when a problem comes, and you're just like, man, you stand by faith and get through the storm, and then you kind of, like, put it away. And I never really had someone disciple me to help me understand that, no, actually, the Christian life is not meant to be lived in your own strength. It is a second-by-second second yielding to the Holy Spirit and walking by faith, depending on Christ for everything. And we say that. And we're like, yeah, 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 I get it. But I don't think it really registered for me until like 60% into everything. And if you're going to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you have to remember and recognize this morning that your walk with Christ is completely dependent upon you yielding to the Holy Spirit second by second by faith. And that's how you can be good one minute and in a ditch the next. Because it's a moment by moment yielding. Now, I wish that walking by faith was so easy, but it's not. Anybody could testify to that? Right? It's just like while you're actively trying to yield to the Spirit, you got to fight your flesh that's yet to be redeemed until Christ's return. Then you got the enemy who's always trying to lead you astray and agitate your flesh. And then problems. You live in a world that's cursed by sin. There's storms, problems, and life. And you see why Jesus is like, man, abide in me, cling to me. And so you're trying to walk by faith, but there's all these barriers that get in the way. But I want to appeal to you this morning. You 
going through the day without walking by faith is like going throughout the day and trying to hold your breath. It's just like it wasn't meant for you to do that. And maybe you're like, man, well, John, it does seem like there's all these barriers. And sometimes there are barriers. Maybe you're driving down the street and there's a car that's double parked there and they're just sitting there talking. You got to get somewhere. And it's like, man, you're a barrier to me. Well, I don't know what barriers show up to you, but in this text today, there's three barriers. Out of hundreds that probably show up in our lives. And my prayer is that you would find yourself identifying with one of them and learning by the grace of God how to overcome and remove this barrier that hinders you walking by faith. And so the title of this morning's message is Faith Barriers, Three Common Barriers That Hinder Faith. If you could just bow your head with me, I'd love to pray for you um, because I know the enemy would love to discourage you. Let me just pray. Lord, no matter how much you tell us to cling to you, to abide, to hold on to you, to walk in the spirit so that we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Um, We still try to figure it out ourselves and we become so exhausted. And um, God, this is a discipleship right here. This is a moment where you are teaching us as disciples what it means to follow you. And we don't want circumstantial faith, situational faith where we just kind of go to the cabinet and get the fire extinguisher to put out the fire, whatever the problem is, to just make it through But to recognize, God, uh, this is a walk with you moment by moment, second by second, hour by hour, minute by minute. So I just pray that this message today would encourage someone and that whatever barrier would be blocking them of trusting you and walking with you would be removed today because it can if they will believe and look to you by faith. Lord, we thank you for this time. Please, please anoint your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the title of this message is Faith Barriers, Three Common Barriers That Hinder Faith. Just to give you a context, where we left off was Jesus had healed, uh, not healed, provided for um, 4,000 Gentiles. If you remember, he took the, the bread, the seven loaves, and they were hungry. And just like he did for the 5,000 Jews, he did this great miracle. Where we're picking up is right after that happens. So put this in context. Literally, we're leaving the masses. Everybody's full. And then this scenario happens. There are three barriers that hinder faith that arise in the text, and um, I want to point them out to you. Here's the first barrier. Um, The first barrier we see is the sign barrier. The sign barrier. What do we mean by that? Look with me in verse 11, and I'm reading from the ESV translation. Um, I know some people read from different translations, but I'm reading from the ESV. It says this, um, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him. That's Jesus seeking a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into a boat again and went to the other side. So the story right now, we just got done feeding the 4,000, and the very next thing that happens is the Pharisees show up, the religious leaders, and it says that they begin arguing with him. They're arguing with God. And what they're arguing, what they're trying to do is it says, and they wanted to seek a sign. Show me something that you're real. And it says here, to test him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think it's good to argue with God and test him. 
Now, this same story is also found in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you could hold your finger there, just turn over to Matthew 16. I think Matthew 16 just gives us a little bit more verbiage and context. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 1, same story, same account. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came. And to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, when it's evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. You know how to tell the weather. But you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Verse 4, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. That term sign of Jonah is a symbolic term that means just like Jonah was in the well, the belly of the fish in the deep for three days, so the Son of Man will be down for three days and raise again. Basically, he says, ain't no sign going to be given to you except an empty tomb. <laughs> and if that ain't enough for you, then that's a problem. Why is Jesus so unwilling to give them a sign? And why does he say something so harsh that a wicked and evil generation seeks after a sign? I'll tell you why. Their desire to see a sign displays their lack of faith and their unbelief. That God is standing in front of them and they just won't believe. Now, if you remember what it says in Hebrews, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever uh, would come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who say, right? It's, it's impossible to please God without faith because it means you don't believe. They want God to prove himself. <laughs> prove yourself. Think how arrogant something that's created from dust and dirt will say to the creator, man, prove yourself to me. Why should I believe you? Sin is crazy. That who are you? Prove yourself to me. Due to their ignorance, unbelief, they want to put God to the test. And people always was doing that. John 6.30 says this about the people that Jesus was speaking to. So they said to him, that's Jesus, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you, uh, would you perform? You see, the first barrier to faith is the sign barrier. The sign barrier says, no matter what your word says, God, unless I see something, I won't believe it. I don't walk by faith. I walk by sight. So unless you show me, unless I see something, now I'm not talking about the sign of like, well, God, shall I accept this college or that college? Man, show me a sign. Lead me which one you're talking about. This job or that job. We're not talking about that. Gideon did that with the fleece. We're talking about, God, I don't believe you at the core of your character. I don't believe you can take care of me. We just sung about your goodness, your faithfulness. All that means nothing to me, no matter what you say in your word, unless I see a sign. It's, you live in a perpetual state of prove yourself to me, God. Now, this state of sign-seeking that replaces faith makes us vulnerable to the schemes of Satan. And why? Because Satan loves, the Bible says, he loves signs and wonders. Christians who aren't secure in their faith can be 
easily led astray. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 to 10 says this, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. There's this, you know, this weakness in our flesh that we, we have to see everything and Satan is like, you know what? She ain't going to believe nothing unless she sees something. She doesn't believe God. He doesn't believe God. They're always looking for a sign. So let me work miracles so they can believe false doctrine. Do not spend $500 on some miracle water. It's just water, y'all. <laughs> it's just water. Don't spend the $300 on the handkerchief. It's just a piece of cloth. This is why, and I'm not, we're not cessationists here. We're not saying God doesn't speak and work through tongues and all that, but we love signs and wonders. And I got a problem with people who are all over the place excited about tongues, but the Spirit can show up to make you speak in tongues, but can't make you holy. Like, that's a problem. You're like the most unsubmissive tongue speaker. You could dance up and down and do all this and that, but you can't forgive your neighbor or love your spouse. There's no love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. No fruit of the Spirit shows up in you except to talk in a tongue. You love signs and wonders and you've been bamboozled. This is why people in the world love horoscopes. Because I just need someone to give me a sign and tell me what's going to happen this week. I'd rather put my trust in the movements of the planets and the stars than the God who created them. And then you get on Instagram talking about Pisces season. <laughs> Letting all the demons know, yeah, it's, it's, it's open game here. You see it in my bio. Libra, Gemini, yes, I believe that the planets order my life. Come on in here. It's demonic. Because I don't have the faith to submit to the spirit and what God said. If you are stuck in this barrier, how do you remove it and move forward? I'll tell you, and this is encouraging. We actually sung it. You actually have to look backward to find assurance in stepping forward. Why do I say that? Because behind you are thousands of signs of God's faithfulness over your life. God hasn't allowed you to predict the future of how every detail is going to work out today. But if you look back, you can see thousands of moments where you cried the same way you cried today, where you was doubting and weak the same way you are right now, and he came through. That's why we say, I have seen the goodness of God. I've seen you move. You move the mountains, and I believe that you'll do it again like you did last time. Numbers 14, 11 God says this to Moses when they kept grumbling and complaining about his faithfulness. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? 
I've been feeding them over and over with manna and quail. They're getting chicken all the time. Uncle Remus, Harold, everything. The sauce is good. And then next week coming, they're like, you can't provide for us. Why would you bring us here? I brought water out of the rock. The Egyptians died in the sea. And another enemy coming, he's like, well, it's better for us to go back into slavery than to trust you. The thing you wanted me to deliver you from, you want to go back to. You'd rather go back to where you came from in the pit than to trust me. Think of that for a minute. I'd rather run back to the sin and the place that you delivered me from than to trust you right now. That's crazy. Faith barriers. Three common barriers that hinder faith. The first barrier that we see here is the sign barrier. Maybe that's you. God, I ain't moving. Prove yourself to me. Humble yourself. God don't hold you nothing. Ain't nobody in glory that was a human being on this earth there because they deserve to be there. If I cannot see a sign from God, I won't believe and I won't move by faith. That could be a barrier for you this morning. Stop testing him. Barrier number two, the problem barrier. Many of us live in this category. The problem barrier, verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. This is the disciples. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. Let me just stop real quick. Remember, um, Jesus took their seven loaves and he fed 4,000 people with it and it was baskets of food left over. And in the midst of rushing to the next thing, it says in verse 14, they forgot to grab some of the bread. So look at verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. They only had, they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. In verse 16, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Man, this is powerful right here. So it says in verse 16 that they were discussing with one another the fact that we ain't got no bread. That's the conversation right now. We just left this miracle. Peter, you always all over the place. You forgot to grab the bread like we asked. You so busy arguing with this person and talking about that. Y'all all hype. You forgot that. You forgot again, Peter. Now they're in a boat. They've gone. They left the bread back there. And the whole topic of conversation is them stressed out about the fact that now they don't have any bread. They forgot to bring food and they're stressed out. Now, as a reminder, in chapter 4... Jesus calmed the storm when they were in the boat. In chapter 6, he provides food for 5,000 Jews, not even including men and women. He just provided bread and fish for 4,000 Gentiles a few minutes ago. It's like 20, 30 minutes ago. And now the disciples are stressed out because they forgot to bring bread. And so before we critique them, let's see ourselves in this. Because it's easy to look at somebody else and be like, well, why don't you have faith? How could you forget God? He just did this for you. That's how you talk to your neighbor and not yourself. That's how you encourage your brother and say, well, man, didn't he just do this for you last time? Now, in the midst of them being stressed out about bread, Jesus slipped some wisdom and game in there to them. And it's crazy. He offers some protection. Look in verse 8, I mean, verse 15. It says, they're talking about bread. And it says, and he cautioned them saying, 
Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. I'm done. And so in the midst of the stress and focus on bread, Jesus tells them to watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What is leaven? Leaven is what causes bread to rise, right? You got different forms of leaven. You can use yeast. You can use buttermilk. You can use baking soda or baking powder. It's the idea of you put this in the bread, it makes the bread grow. They're arguing about forgetting bread. Jesus protects them by saying, be careful of the leaven. Be careful of what information you're absorbing to help yourself grow, particularly that of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Be careful of the information that you're putting in yourself. Because remember, the Pharisees just showed up arguing with him about the signs of the times. Show us a sign. And he points out two categories, the Pharisees, which represents false teachers, and Herod, which represents the government. In our day, more people are led by or discipled by false teachers and the news media than word of God. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You're like, man, that's my mom. MS, NBC, CNN, Fox News, Newsmax, go on. They disciple way more people than the church. Everybody's terrified of the media and what's going on and the information they're absorbing. And Jesus says, be careful of who you're allowing to disciple you. The leaven that you're leaning into to grow you and build you up. It could be false teachers or you got your hope and your trust in the government. And how many Christians do you know feel like it's like the little end of the world based on who's going to get elected this November? Man, if you are stressed out to that point where you're so consumed with the political news cycle, you, you worship Caesar. Jesus says, render unto Caesar what belongs to him and render unto God what belongs to God. Let me ask you a question. Maybe it's not false teachers or politics, but what have you been absorbing? What has been filling your mind and heart? Now, Jesus just slips this wisdom in there because the Pharisees was here talking about signs and wonders. And why does Jesus have to say that? Because the Pharisees are the religious leaders and everybody looks at them for guidance. So Jesus is like, don't listen to that podcast. Don't, don't, don't feed on that information. And look at their response in verse 16. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. <laughs> they like completely miss it. They're talking about bread. Jesus is like, hey, y'all, hey, y'all, hey, y'all. Y'all worried about bread, but let me tell you something. Be, be careful about the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And they're like, okay, so you didn't bring the bread again, huh? <laughs> they, they went right back to it. And Jesus just gave them wisdom and direction to protect their mind and their heart from being led astray, and they missed it, and they ignored it because the problem of not having bread was much greater to them. Think about this. The problem of not having bread was more important to them than what Jesus has said. Their whole focus was on it. God is always speaking to us, beloved. But too often, we allow our problems to drown out his voice. Our problems become greater than the voice of God. This is what I mean by the problem barrier. 
And so you're like, man, God ain't speaking. You're just so, your world, yes, you're about to lose your job. Yes, the health issue is going on. Yes, this has happened over here. Yes, you got to get the car repaired. Yes, you don't know how you're going to pay that bill. Yes, your son doesn't know the Lord. Yes, this person has hurt you. But the situation is you recycle it in your head so much, you drown out God's voice. And Satan capitalizes on that, and he turns up the volume and screams and distracts you, and then you start drowning. You know, in basketball, there's a thing called a free throw. Where if you get a foul, you get to go to the line and you get to shoot two buckets. If you got fouled at the two-point point or the three points of back there, you get to shoot, right? And if you go to the Bulls games right now, if you sit behind the visitor's court, they give you like these inflatable baton things. And the goal is that when the opposing team is shooting the free throw, you're allowed to bring signs that says you're horrible. Nobody likes you. It's It's bad. They want you to discourage this person so bad. They want you yelling and waving stuff so that the problems and the chaos causes this person to miss the basket. That's how Satan is, and that's how problems can arise. Now, the only way that you can make the shot in that pressure situation when everyone's screaming, standing in front of you, waving and holding signs saying, you're horrible, is you got to keep your eyes fixed on the task at hand and drown out the noise. Let me encourage you that in the seasons where you're always going to have problems, you can either recycle everything through your mind or you can make the shot by keeping your eyes fixed upon Jesus, not the problem. But our faith gets hindered because we look at the problem. We don't keep our eyes on Jesus. Now, there's a lesson for you and I to learn here if we put ourselves in this situation. What does this situation about the disciples' lack of trust in Jesus and their faith in him, their, their, their stress about the problem, what does that reveal about the state of their heart, given the fact that Jesus just provided food for them and 4,000 people 30 minutes ago? Why are they so consumed with the problem? Here's why. They have chosen control over trust. They have chosen control over trust. Here's a thought for you. I have it on the screen here. When following Jesus, you can't have control and trust him at the same time. You have to embrace one and release the other. You can't do both. Let me say that again. Someone that's going to help you. When following Jesus, you can't have control and trust him at the same time. The reason why they are so stressed out about the bread is because they have no control of getting bread. But they're in the boat with the person who does have control of getting bread. And just about an hour ago, Jesus, concerned, said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me for three days and I know they're hungry. How much bread do y'all have? I got seven. Give it to me. And he took the little and made it a lot. You would then think, Well, as long as I have him, I'm cool even if I don't see the bread in the refrigerator or on the counter. The fridge might be empty, but if I have the one who supplies bread, then I will eat today because I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Now, you want to see the bread on the counter, but he is the bread of life. And so when following Jesus, I want to just teach you, old disciple, follower of Christ, and you'll be put to the test maybe right now. 
You can't hold on trying to control how it happens. How many of you just damage everything trying to control it? Trying to control how God's going to provide, how God's going to answer. You're always trying to control it. Just rest and exhale. Are you not tired? Are you not weary from running so hard because you just won't give up control? Well, what about, what about, what about? Well, you said that all back there. And do you want to go down the list of how he has provided for you? And sometimes not in the way you wanted, but in the way you needed. And some things you thought you really needed and you realize later, I'm glad I didn't get that. I'm glad he didn't answer that prayer. When following Jesus, you can't have control and trust him at the same time. You have to embrace one and release the other. You cannot do both. Can you just release control today? You can't release control if you're not going to trust. What does it look like for them? It's them saying, you know what, we're not going to stress out about bread. I trust that he's going to do it again. I'm releasing control. We know we ain't got to sit here and argue about this. Who want to who pray for us to get across to the other side? Matter of fact, we know we're going to get because he's in the boat. We'll be all right. Now, for you, practically speaking, what does it look like in action to trust God? I have three things that are here for you on the screen. Trust in action. First one, trusting action is taking action. Sometimes trusting, trusting God means I'm actually going to now step out and do whatever this is. And maybe you just step back and you're just like, man, well, I'm just waiting on God. And it's like, well, God has made it clear to you. Will you fill out the form? Will you take the job? Will you do this? Will you do that? And some of you are just stuck. You're afraid to step out. And stepping out is actually trusting him. Because you're like, man, I don't know how all this is going to work, God, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to move forward by faith. So sometimes trusting God looks like taking action on something. The opposite is true. Sometimes trusting God looks like waiting on something. Man, I'm so tempted to take this into my own hands, but I'm going to trust you and wait. I'm going to trust you and wait. And how often have you run ahead of God? He got to come behind you and clean up the mess because you wouldn't wait on the Lord. It could be for relationships and marriage. It could be for finances. It could be for a job. It could be for someone's spiritual development and growth. It could be for justice to come to light. And you jump into conversations and situations and make decisions that you should have never made because you weren't waiting. So sometimes it looks like waiting. And the third is taking thoughts captive is trusting the Lord. What does that mean? The scripture says, Paul says, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. It means once I've processed that, I'm not going to let that run on a treadmill in my mind. No, 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 no. I'm not stressing about that this afternoon. I'm taking that captive. You go over here. We just not going, you're not going to kill my peace. My flesh is tempted to think about, well, how's God going to do? How's God? I'm resting in the Lord and I'm trusting him. Now, here's the reason why I said it's a moment by moment thing. Because you can leave church and be like, I got it. And your flesh is like, nope. Nope. And so you have to fight second by second to walk and yield to the spirit and say, I'm not going to give into the fear of my flesh, but I'm going to trust the Lord. Well, how do I do that practically? Train yourself for godliness, Paul told Timothy. You train for your physical body, train for godliness, meaning train yourself. If you keep doing it, it'll become a habit that I'm not going to let these thoughts run rampant in my head. Soon as that thought comes in and I'm starting to process it again, nope, I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to replace it with the truth of God's word. This is how we see trust in action. The disciples are so focused on the problem that the voice and wisdom of Jesus is drowning out in the background. 
faith barriers, three common barriers that hinder faith. The first is the sign barrier. The second is the problem barrier. And here's the third one. Barrier three, the remembrance barrier. The remembrance barrier. Verse 17. This is Jesus' response now. Finally, we get to hear Jesus speak. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? He's asking somebody that here this morning. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Verse 18, and do you not remember? Just pause right there. Jesus has some hard questions. I love the fact that Jesus loves us, but he doesn't always coddle us. He speaks hard truth in love. He says to them, do you not understand? He says, is your heart that hard? Like, are you that hard in your heart to think like this? Third, he says, can, can you not see or hear? Meaning, can you, are you spiritually not connected to me? Then when the scripture says, he who has ears to hear, hear what the spirit says to the church is the idea that even though you have physical ears, you may not have spiritual ears. Do you really even know me? Are you really converted? And he, he asked the fourth thing, which is so hard. Do you not remember? I believe God is asking you the same question this morning. Do you not understand? Is your heart that hard? Do you not remember? Loved ones, you and I are so spiritually forgetful. All of God's people have historically been forgetful. We've historically struggled to remember things. Psalm 78, 11 says this, And they forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Psalm 106, 13, But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. You see waiting there? Forgot and didn't wait. Took it into my own hands. Psalm 106, 21, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. And even after they got out of Egypt, we read in Judges 8, 34, and the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. Let me go back to Psalm 106, 21, the one before that. They forgot God, their Savior. And back to Judges. They didn't remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. Have you forgotten what he's done for you? And you might feel like, well, I'm not testing God, but maybe, I mean, God can handle our pain. We could bring that to him. But are you arguing with and testing him because you demand a sign because you're so forgetful? The ways he's shown up for you when you were in a pit or the good that he's brought you out of in hard situations? It's painful to consider, y'all, how often God delivers us and answers our prayers only for that work of grace to be forgotten shortly after. We often talk to God as if he's never done anything for us. If you need some encouragement this morning and you're just like, man, I just feel 
Be encouraged. If you need some encouragement, remember what we can see from this text here is that those who are closest to Jesus often struggle the most to believe him and have faith. He's with them every single day. <laughs> they just watched him literally provide. He's healing thousands of people all day, every day. And he has to ask them, do you not understand? Is your heart that hard? Now look at the grace of God at work in verse 19. Listen to what Jesus says. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up and have left over? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000 I just did, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This segment stops here. It goes on to the next story. That's how this situation ends. The last thing we hear about this is Jesus saying, so what happened when I fed the 5,000? How many was left over in the fridge? 12 baskets. All right, um, when we just left 30 minutes ago, how many baskets of food was left over after everybody left stuff? Seven baskets. Don't you understand? Next situation. This is the grace of God. Jesus takes them back down memory lane. <laughs> he reminds them of his goodness and provision. Jesus helps them look back in order to trust him going forward. Now, what's encouraging about this is because they're so forgetful of God's faithfulness. Here's the encouragement, y'all. We don't remember God's faithfulness, yet he doesn't remember our sins. He says, as far as the east is from the west, I won't remember them no more. So we do have something in common that we're both forgetful, but not about the same things. We forget his goodness. He forgets our sins. I don't remember them no more. But I'm going to remind you of my goodness. I'm not going to remind you of your sin. He doesn't remind them of all the times they doubted him. He just reminds them of what he did and then said, now don't you get it? And maybe you sit here and you're like, well, I just feel like God's always putting my sin in my face. No, that's, that's Satan. The Spirit convicts you, but he doesn't shame you. God doesn't shame his kids. He convicts his kids. And if something's coming to your mind, in humility, submit. But you see God showing his grace here. So how do we remove this barrier? This barrier here of remembrance. I'll tell you this, thankfulness. If you're like, well, Pastor John, what's something I could do practically right now? Thankfulness. Psalm 9, 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Listen, I will recount all of your wonders, wonderful deeds. You see it there? I will give thanks to the Lord. I will thank you. And out of being thankful, I will recount or remember or bring speak of all of your wonderful deeds. That this spirit of thankfulness, you see why the Lord is always saying be thankful in prayer? Be thankful in prayer. When you say, God, I thank you, you have to name something he's done or an aspect of who he is. You don't thank God simply for yourself. God, I thank you. I'm all that. I thank you that I'm a provider. I thank you that I healed myself. I thank you that I got myself through college. I thank you that I do this. I, no, you don't do that. I thank you, God, that you, that you, maybe you came to church today and the Lord said, your prayers are lacking thankfulness so much. 
You got problem after problem after problem, and maybe your prayers would turn into worship and tears of joy, and you would be renewed if you would just take the moment to thank me. I was convicted recently because I realized, maybe this happened to you too. I noticed, actually, even as I was working on this message, I noticed that when I pray for people, or even when I hear people pray for one another, I always hear people go on and on, God, I thank you for it. God, I thank you for, I thank you for this in her life. I thank you for this. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. And I realize that I don't say thank you that much in my own prayer. When I'm praying for other people, it's a lot of thank you for, thank you for, thank you for, I thank you for, I thank you for, I thank you for. But then in my prayer, it's like 20% of that. And I was like, man, I need to keep that same energy. Why is it I'm so thankful for everything in her life? God, I thank you for the way you're working in her family. I thank you for this. I thank you for your grace over her. I thank you for this. I thank you for what you're doing with him. I thank you for how you worked in his job. I thank you for healing him. I thank you. And then I get to me, and it's like, I'm not, it's not that same momentum. Can you relate? I think one of the takeaways for me this week is to make sure that my prayer life is saturated with gratitude. Because here's what I've learned. Forgetfulness will never be found in a heart that's full of gratitude. Grateful people aren't forgetful people. Repeat that. (laughs) Since I said grateful people aren't forgetful people. Forgetfulness will never be found in the heart full of gratitude. The more grateful you are, the more you remember because that's what's keeping you grateful. You haven't forgotten all that he's done for you, how far he's bought you, what he's forgiven you for over and over and over again, the way situations was damaged and he brought good out of it, even though you couldn't see it at that time. Forgetfulness will never be found in the heart full of gratitude. Faith barriers, three common barriers that hinder faith. They are the sign barrier, the problem barrier, and the remembrance barrier. Which barrier needs removing in your life today? Let's pray. God, it doesn't matter what mountain is in front of us. You move mountains into the sea. We sung that. You made a way. When our backs was against the wall and it looked like it was over, and we're standing here only because you made a way. God, there's someone sitting here, and that's, that's them. They have a prove yourself to me, God, mentality. They need a sign. Like the Pharisees, they're like, show us a sign, show us a sign, show us a sign. God, would you help them to just rest in the truth of your word, to yield to your spirit, and to look back and say, okay, you want a sign? Look behind you. Look at all the things I've done in your life, the ways that I've brought you. You might feel like I have left you right now. You might feel like I've forsaken you, but you felt that before, and then you realize I didn't. God, there's some people that it's the the problem barrier. Like the disciples in the boat just focused on the bread, when you are trying to give them wisdom and how to protect their hearts from the culture and the things around them, they're just like, the bread, we don't have bread, we don't have bread. And I believe there are many in this room who are just so consumed with their problems. That's all they could think about is the problem, the problem, the problem. And they just let it run through their mind over and over. It could be a broken relationship. It could be finances. It could be what's going to happen this year. It could be a health problem. It could be something with their children. It could be something else. I don't know, God, at their job. 
They have a lot of question marks in front of them. Lord, the Christian life is placing our problems in your hand and resting. You said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We cast our burdens to you, and we rest knowing I don't have the answer, but I know the one who does. Scripture says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It doesn't mean our flesh won't be like, well, no. It doesn't mean that the enemy won't try to trip us up and put thoughts in our head and there won't be spiritual warfare. It doesn't mean that there won't be tragedy and pain in this world that's dominated by sin. But you know what? You said, in me, you will have peace. In this world, you will have trials and storms. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. God, we are overcomers because you are overcomers. So somebody needs to rest today. They need to take that thought captive. It is, it is pushing them into the severe pit of depression. They can't eat. They can't sleep. Their anxiety is so high. May this be the moment they say, you know what? I'm taking that thought captive. I got to get at least 10 verses that I need to think about before I think about that thought again. I've given that to the Lord. And then lastly, Lord, would you help us to remember? We are so forgetful. I am so forgetful. And God, when we become forgetful, we become ungrateful. You don't want us to be an ungrateful people. When we go to work, when we're in our families, when we're home, we're around our kids, we just, we're always bickering and complaining like the Israelites because we forgot the God who delivered us out of slavery and how he fed us in the wilderness with manna and quail and brought water out of the rock and put his presence in the midst of us and made our enemies to flee. So God, may we not count the bread anymore but just look to your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If y'all would just stand, we sung a song earlier that I think if we just sing as a prayer, it would just hit a little different. And so you could just bow your heads. If you just bow your heads right where you are, and I want us to begin by singing over them. And if you want to make this your prayer, then join in song. But right now, if you just bow your head and let us sing, and I want you to think about one of those three barriers. If you want to have a heart posture and just say, Lord, my arms are open too, you could do that. But I want you to receive right now rest, refreshment, trust, hope, and whatever you need in the Lord. And just, just bow your head right where you are and let this song wash over you. And let it be our prayer together. Thank you for listening to Chicago West Sunday Service. Join us next week.